Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a special edition, Sunday edition of Monty and the Pharaoh. I'm Mike Monty. This is the Pharaoh. And we've got special guest promoter Eric Sims. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. No BS with ESS. <laughs> and a very special guest, WWE superstar, former superstar, intercontinental champion, European champion. The Pharaoh will go through the long list. Mr. Val Venus, thank you for joining us. Hello. Ladies. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thank you for having me here, guys. Thanks this is for a coming. Great setup you all got here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. This. How long you all been here for? Uh, oh. this, this is a new studio, so we joined, what, about a month oh. and a half ago? Oh, we were in another yeah. studio in the same town. Uh, it was a really cool studio, but uh, the station itself... A year ago was about seven shows, yeah. and now we're about 34 shows yeah, and growing. Nice. We are growing. Uh, we, we were just talking before you got here. We're probably going to start a news channel. We've got a lot of things going on here. Very and then with cool. uh, you know, high-profile people like yourself coming on, it just brings yeah, more and more attention. Like they, so thank, thank you for coming aboard. Absolutely. And you too, Eric. You're a high-profile promoter. A super agent, yes. I don't, <laughs> That's I don't, right. I don't <laughs> get enough credit out there, but yes. That's right. You know, I'm the one that... Um, you know, a lot of new agents are around, but I'm the one that, uh, you know, mentored most of them either directly or indirectly, you, you know, I'm like the old G of, of it, so it's... Your uh, influence is felt. 30, 30 yes, thank you, know. 33 years of doing this, uh, yeah, someone needs to pick up something or learn something or always take their time. Uh, excellent. That's great, yeah, that's yeah. great. Shall I? Shall, go well, ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, Val Venus, a.k.a. Sean Allen Morley, born 3671, 63240, I should only hope to be so... You still weighing two forty, brother? Uh, however, I'm trying to get down to two ten. Okay, um, but uh, it seems like every time I get to the two thirty mark, I'm still healthy. The second I get to two twenty nine, I don't know what it is. I think I got to lose weight slower. Mm. I'm trying to get to two ten because I want to run one marathon in my life. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. and of course at two fifty, two sixty on my knees, it's just not healthy, right? So I want to get to two ten. But every time I hit 229, I don't know what happens, whether it's a sugar in the brain problem, but I can't think straight. Mm. I start to get lethargic. I start to get, uh, I think I lose weight too fast. And so every time I hit that 229 mark and I, I can't function properly, I say, okay, I got to take a break from so much cardio, so much dieting. And I take a break and then all of a sudden I start to get my thought processes back, I get normalized again. By that time I'm back up to about two thirty six to two forty. So I'll start I'll start to try and, you know, tighten up my diet, amp up my cardio from half an hour to an hour and a half again. And again, I get right back down to two twenty nine and the same shit happens. Mm. So that's uh, I'm on number four, trying to get past two twenty nine. Okay. And this time, I'm not going to do an hour and a half of cardio. I'm going to do maybe 45 minutes, 50. See if I can lose it a little bit slower. Maybe that's the cure for could getting be. past 229. Yeah, it could be all. a pacing situation. Yeah, that's okay. what it's got to be, right? Because the second I hit 229 pounds, it's... Hmm. Right. I can't put my left foot in front of my right to walk for a different Do you think version? maybe that's just got to be your body weight, though, like 230? I mean, maybe just your natural 230, and that's, you know. Maybe, but still, I still have, you know, I have I have some, I, I think I can get down to 210. Okay. I think I, my personal opinion is, and I could be wrong, this is just a best guess, because I haven't been down through the 210 area since my last year of high school. Okay. And um, so I'm thinking that it may be I was just losing the weight too fast and starving my brain of sugar. Um, that's what I've been told when I start asking questions to figure out why I can't get past 229. And that's the common response is I think you're just losing it too quickly and not doing it slow enough. So I'm going to slow it up this time as I go back down. I'm at 236 right now. 
try to get past this 229. And uh, you look pretty good at 236, dude. Right. So, you know, you look great. You know, and I, don't I think, really, you know, I'm, marathons are something I've always wanted to do all my life. It wasn't too interest. But as I get old, I'm at 48 years old. I'm like, it'd be really nice to say that I ran one marathon before I die. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. And I'm get, approaching 50. And so, you know, it's a goal. I made it a goal, and I want it. But I got to get down to 210. So I, I just had a stress test just Make sure everything's okay, first of all, but then make sure, because I want to run a marathon also. Did you take it before or after the show? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to run like one marathon. You're, pre- you're, pretty big, you're a pretty big guy. It was okay. It was all right. I mean, you know, I'm quite overweight at this point, but I've got to get down to about 2.30. I think I could function at and then attempt to run a marathon. So yeah. arteries are clear, so takes, i got to get my stuff well, together. It takes a while to put the cardio up. Oh, well, you know, I try to do as much cardio as I possibly can, but yeah, yeah. I well, you, got, you got the weights mastered. You're pretty jacked. You look pretty jacked there. I, I keep looking for my car in the parking lot. He's pushing it around just for, you know, shits and giggles. Put it over here. Put it over here. I don't know anyone that goes to the gym more than you. And you think I wouldn't be as fat as I am. Yeah, that's, I mean, looking at him, he's definitely put a lot of years into into throwing iron around. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Jimmy, look out your window, I'm curling your car. <laughs> yeah, 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 the, the, the yoga, like the Dallas Page yogas, that could that'd be great for losing the weight. And right. So I, I, actually, I actually have it. I haven't. You, ha- you have it? it? Yeah, it's I got to give it a It's wonderful. Like My wife has it too, DDP's yeah. yoga. Yeah. Yep. You got to get that t-shirt that says, I'd flex, but I like this shirt. Oh, <laughs> please. <laughs> 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 I like that. Well, well, back to the impeccable resume pretty much, yo. He's a two-time Intercontinental Champion, Mr. Venus. One-time European Champ, one-time Tag Team Champ with one of my personal favorites, Lance Storm. Yes, Lance Storm. I wanted to ask you, uh, when did you start wrestling? When did the idea come into your head? Did you have any favorites growing up? Was this a childhood thing? I always loved professional wrestling. Um, my brother and I would always, you know, pretend to professional wrestle as kids in the living room. You know, we always watched it. It was, it was always something we were always uh, entertained by. Um, back when I was a kid, I raced motocross. Uh, I did wrestling, club wrestling, and high school wrestling as well. Um, wrestling was really my my ma- motocross was my main sport outside of school. In school, wrestling was my main sport, and uh, never really considered becoming a professional wrestler, even though it was something I always looked at like, oh, that'd be friggin' cool as hell, right? But never thought about it. As I was going through high school, I made the determination that I wanted to become a helicopter pilot. And I wanted to eventually fly air ambulance. So I had this plan laid out where I was going to go into the military. um, And I was going to take aeronautical science. And, uh, you know, maybe I wanted to fly AH-64 Apaches or the big cargo helicopters in the military. You know, I had different plans that that I wanted to do. But ultimately... I wanted to fly air ambulance helicopters after the military. Uh, the day after I graduated high school, um, I was already training professionally on the weekends uh, just because it was something that I liked. Met Shane Sewell on a few local shows in Toronto. And then soon after I graduated, uh, Shane and I went over to England and started wrestling full-time over there. My original goal was, eh, I'll wrestle for a few months over here for the summer and then I'll start university in the fall. I was going to do the ROTC program with the military and uh, and make you know start my track towards becoming a helicopter pilot. When we went over to England, that was my first full time professional wrestling job. I fell in love with the business instantaneously, and that began my my career right there. I, I never went to university. I started wrestling in, in England full time. I spent what was only supposed to be a few months. Spent a whole year over there. Okay. And then uh, Shane and I went and tag teamed in Arkansas for almost a year, and then we went down to Puerto Rico. And that was our first big territory. At the time, it was still a big territory. And from there, the colognes. Yeah, the colognes. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Five nights a week, Mm -hmm. every single week, all year long Mm -hmm. for several years. Uh, I guess they only do maybe once or twice a week now. It's it's slowed down a lot there now. Did the old timers give you any problem? No, Um, man. I loved Puerto Rico. It was such a fun time. we worked hard and we played hard down there is the best way I can sum up my Puerto Rican uh, okay yeah you know six years of that it was it was incredible you know I, what I, I found really interesting about your resume particular it stood out to me CMLL is the world's oldest wrestling promotion Happy. so Shane and I we were tagging in uh, in Puerto Rico we were the the heel tag team of Puerto Rico at the time and so we got an offer 
to go over to Mexico and do some appearances, you know, some shots over there. And Shane, he fell in love with Puerto Rico. He wanted to stay there. And so I, I really wanted to expand my horizons and head over to Mexico. So we did this thing. Hey, if you want to stay here and, you know, I, I want to go to Mexico, let me see if they'll take me as a singles. We've been here way too long as tag in mm-hmm. Puerto Rico anyways. Mm-hmm. And so we said, maybe we can do a big run angle here in Puerto Rico, do a big split. I'll head off to Mexico, right? And so I called the, uh, well, it was through Victor Quinones at the time. We called uh, Paco Alonso, who's the promoter for Arena Mexico. He owns Arena Mexico. Mm-hmm. And said, hey, would you mind taking me over there as a singles as opposed to being a tag team? And they had a mask they wanted somebody to wear. And, yeah, that, that would fit perfect for, you know, for Sean at the time. And so they agreed. So Shane and I, we worked out a deal where he was going to stay in Puerto Rico. I was going to do a thing. We we're going to split. So we did, you know, the tag team, the misdirection, boom, cost us the titles. Right. And now Shane's pissed at me, and I'm pissed at him. And six weeks on TV in Puerto Rico, we just kept screwing each other over. We mm-hmm. built it into a big, you know, loser leaves town match. Of course, Shane and I did our singles match. I lose, and that's how we split up. And I went to Mexico. And I arrived in Mexico and put on the singles mask. And from that point, uh, the first couple of shots, I did some six-mans, which is most of the matches down there, three-on-three. Three. Yep. And uh, it was always with Ryo De, De Lisco Jr. on the opposing team. And then eventually it worked into screwing Ryo De Lisco over to take the pinfalls a couple of times. And then finally it works into a championship match between Ryo De Jalisco Jr. and myself. And we did it in Arena Mexico. I took the title, and that began him chasing the title from me. Were you aware of the history of this belt at the time? You know, this look, must have looked great on your resume as you're trying to get to Vince. This yeah, has yeah. to look great. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, being on Vince's radar at the time, I was so immersed into Mexican wrestling at that point uh, and so fascinated by it that, yeah, everybody wants to get to the to the big show up in New York, but at the time I was so immersed. Vince was kind of an afterthought. At that okay, point. Um, I was liking what I was doing in Mexico City, and I enjoyed working there very very much. And uh, so we ran an angle. Rowdy Lisco's cha- chasing me. His father, God rest his soul, uh, we, he was a famous, famous, famous Mexican wrestler down there. He was in all the soap operas and stuff. Mm-hmm. By the time I got there, he's supporting his son now, who was the world or former world champion because I took the title from him. Right. Uh, but we did a thing where I ended up smashing the glass award that Rao De Alisco Sr. had awarded and smashed it over his head, put him in the hospital, really building up the angle. People were pissed. We was, um, it was, uh, I'm trying to think who was... I can't remember who was. It was a couple of Mexican wrestlers that were outside. Mm-hmm. There was one of them specifically that yelled at me, Amigo, vamos ahora! And I was like, oh, shit. And I looked, and I saw the fans all coming out of their seats. <laughs> oh, my God. And I smashed that glass now you've plaque done it. over the old man's head. <laughs> now you've done it. Yeah. You're a little so, too yeah, good at what you're doing. Yeah. We, Excellent. We, yeah, we beelined it on out of there. And, I, uh, I wanted to ask you, because I, I we want to... Um, Cover so much, so much stuff with you. So Absolutely. we have we have limited time, but I want to get this in. Tell us about the call that came to you from the WWF when it was time. Tell us about the big call that you got, and uh, who came up with the Val Venus gimmick, and were you happy about that? Yeah, so I had uh, done a tryout match in uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, and at the time, as soon as I did that uh, Des Moines dark match, it was one of those things where I got a call. Uh, from Jim Ross, he says, "Hey, we want to bring you up to Des Moines. We want to see you work uh, in our ring, and we'll we'll check you out." So, I took two days off from Mexico City, flew up to Des Moines, Iowa, and did the shot, and then flew back to Mexico. Now, part of my deal was, "Hey, if if you guys want to negotiate anything, just to let you know, um, if we do ever agree to anything, I need to finish up here in Mexico. I wasn't gonna Mexico treated me really well. I was right. no way I'm afraid to leave them high and dry, mm-hmm. right? The title, mm-hmm. and so." I let them be aware of that, you know what I mean? And they were cool with that. So when they decided to make me an offer, we bounced around back and forth a couple times over the offer. And finally, I just said, okay, I still have six months left to run this program with Rod de Jalisco to design this now and stay in Mexico for the next six months. And they said, yeah, that's great. We'll do vignettes. We'll spend a day or two doing vignettes, go back to Mexico and finish up. That's great. And while you're in Mexico, we'll run the vignettes. So that's what we did. 
and uh, Vince was cool with that. I think Vince really appreciated the fact that I didn't. I wanted to make sure that I could still finish my obligations in Mexico. And I think right. he really appreciated that. I think that kind of helped solidify the things as well with him. He saw, oh, so he's telling me he wants to finish up down there. That means I don't have to worry about him teaching me to go to WCW. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. Leaving him high and dry. Which he was happening was, back then all the time. So. Yeah, so yeah. he knew I wasn't going to leave Paco Alonso high and dry. I'm not going to leave Vincent Mann high and dry right. either. You yeah. know? And right. so I think that was a good a good thing to do, too. I think that led to you know a good thing for between WWE and I. I always like to ask these questions. So you're, you're going to be flying planes or whatever, and then you go to become a wrestler. What does your family think that you make this turn? Are they like trying to convince my you not to? Loved it. She did, huh? Yeah, my mom loved <laughs> wow. it. Wow. Okay. And uh, my mom thought it was great. My dad, okay. he's kind of, he's like, yeah, whatever. You know? <laughs> really? my, dad, my dad's just cool with everything. Okay. He's, like, he's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. You know, you got kind of lucky. You know, one of them could have been like, what? Oh, yeah. No. Been, yeah. Are you kidding me? Get yeah. in the chopper. Get in the chopper. Yeah, no, my parents were furry. <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you say it? You're like, you know, I was going to do this, but I just... Because it's like two, end, two ends of the planet, right? It's right, like, yeah. yeah how, do you, how do you even present that to your family? How does it's, that happen? It's like, well, my, my parents, at the time... See, I, I came out of high school a hardcore left-wing socialist. But at the time, I had just read Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged. Which really made me, and when I was when I say a socialist, I wasn't involved in politics. I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. But if you were to ask me, hey, what do you think about universal health care? I immediately, without even thinking about the repercussions of what that entails, I would have said, yeah, universal. Everybody has right to health care. Everybody should have health care. So it wasn't that I was into it. I was just parroting the stuff that I was taught from government schools. You know, sure, sure, yeah. But after I read Ayn Rand's book Atlas Shrugged, it really opened my eyes, and I started questioning everything I was taught. Is this where the anarchist philosophy starts to come in? This was the beginning of the path that led me to anarchy. Gotcha. And so at the gotcha. time, I started like asking my parents questions. Why is this? Right. Why was I never taught to question this in school? Right. Why was I just, this is the way it is. I always assume that's the way it is. But now that I've read this book, it's making me question this, that I've always assumed this is the way it is. Right. And I'd ask my parents, why is this? And they're like, I don't know. I never thought about that. And when my parents are telling me they never thought about that question either, I started questioning everything. Right, right. You know? Right. And so at that point, I kind of started to be like, we should be able to do whatever the fuck it is we want to do. <laughs> we only got one life on this planet. <clears throat> right. Who are right. politicians that dictate what we can and cannot do? Right. And so when they started seeing me get to that, when then, I, you know, a few years later, I'm like, hey, I want to wrestle professionally. They're like, not gonna test that. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to do that, yeah, sure. that sounds good, son. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. <laughs> How? What was your response to the Valvinus gimmick? And who came up with this? Was this Vince gave you a phone call and said, uh, "By the way, you know, well, I got this idea." So I had signed in January '98, and I was back down in Mexico performing. You know, continuing my obligations down okay. there. Um, it was uh, you know about a month and a half or so went by, and. I get a call at 7 o'clock in the morning in Mexico City. My phone rings in the hotel, and I'm like, hello, and it's Vince. And I'm like, oh, hey, Vince, how are you doing? And he's like, so we got this character that we want to sh you know, shoot by you. And I want to tell you that if you don't feel comfortable with this character, you have to tell me, no, you don't want to do it. Because if you don't feel comfortable doing it, it's not going to work. And I don't want to put money behind something that you don't feel comfortable because that's going to take away the chances of that character working, which makes perfect sense. Right. Sure. And so I'm, I said, I'm all ears. And he says, okay, so Val Venus, the last name spelled V-E-N-I-S. Now, when he spelled that to me, I didn't know why he was spelling it to me. But when he spelled it to me, it didn't clue in. I was kind of like, okay. Hey, Vince, you're spelling it wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, but okay, whatever. It's smart enough to spell. And he goes, now, Val Venus was a former film star turned pro wrestler. And the first thought in my head is, Orson Welles? <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Uh, Jesse Ventura. Okay. Hollywood Jesse Ventura yeah, okay. makes lots of films. Sure. And sure. I'm thinking that's already been done. Right. I'm, I'm not saying this. I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking this. It's already okay. been done. How's how's something that's already been done going to work? Right. But I'm still ears. And then he says, "Now Val Venus is actually Here we go. an adult film star turned pro wrestler." I go, "I'm in." I'm in. He goes, "Whoa, whoa. business!" And now you're talking to the I the, this giant. Yeah, Icon. Yeah. What are you feeling like? Well, you know, I'm I'm thinking porn star turned pro wrestler. Fuck yeah! <laughs> and pitch me, pitch me. And so Vince is oh like, well, hold on here, hold on. I go, no, 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 you don't have to twist my arm anymore. I'm in. Right. I'll do it. And he goes, hold on. 
listen, I need to make sure you're comfortable with this character. And I'm going, I'm comfortable, I'm in. <laughs> so okay. he goes, listen, I want you to take 24 hours at least and ponder it. And <laughs> really just, just think sure. about the implications, whatever. Make sure there's nothing you, you don't feel uncomfortable about. He says, you need to feel comfortable about this character from start to finish. And I go, well, what is there about this character that... I wouldn't feel comfortable about. You might it hasn't been done before, and it's a porn star turned into a wrestler. Right. That's unbelievable. <laughs> he goes, just, just sit on it for twenty-four hours, right? So, I, okay. Well, twenty-four hours later, I called him up and said, "I'm in." That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's much it. Wow. Didn't need a lot of pondering about it, right? So. Yeah, that was pretty much it, you know. And, 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 uh, did you call wardrobe and say, "Where's my wardrobe?" And here's a towel. No, it was uh, so I finished up my obligations. We actually, at the time, once we settled on that, we flew up. You know, I took a couple of days off, flew up to New York. Uh, we did the vignettes, and then he sent me back down to Mexico to finish up my obligations at the time. And so the vignettes were playing while I was still wrestling in Mexico under the mask, yeah. and. Uh, didn't think about wardrobe or anything. We already had the towel. The way the towel came about was the very first vignette where I stepped out of the shower with the Scores girls. Okay. And there was a towel hanging on the rack. So it was just part of the scene. Right. And when I open up the thing, I take the towel off and I wrap it around my waist and I cut my promo for the vignette. And the first thing I thought was, I'm wearing a towel. Nobody wears a towel to the ring. That's right. I'm going to wear this to the ring. Oh, wow. yeah. And so that's, how, that's as simple as that. That's how the towel gimmick came out. It was just part of the very first vignette. And the very first thing I did was step out of the shower, wrap it around my waist, and I'm like, hey, that's a great gimmick but, right but, there. And but I got to ask, though, because the towel thing is a, is a, is a work of art. Yeah, like, yeah. Did you, uh, you know, in the hotel room, like, boy, like were you practicing that? No. Because that was so great. That. That's none of that was great. Yeah. Where did that come from? It just came on the fly. Really? Literally well, came here's on to the fly. fly. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was awesome. like, okay, I'm going to wear a towel to the ring. And so that, that was that's all I thought about it. And so the very first night when I make the appearance on Raw, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing with this towel. No clue. I just know I'm going down there as a porn star and going to, yeah. you know, hit on the girls and, you know, right. bash the guys. And right. so the very first time I walk out as Val Venus onto the stage and I went, well, what should I do now? And I'm like looking around going, I'm going to swivel my hips. And I just fucking went, mm, bing, bing, <laughs> and I was doing it on stage. And so... Every time I went out, I added a little something to it just based on how I felt walking down to the ring. And it took probably a couple of weeks of walking down to the ring, you know, every night before I got to the point where, okay, really? this feels good yeah. in the middle of the ring, pointing there, pointing there, gigging it out, and taking the towel off, doing a little dance with it, spinning it around. So it was a work in progress that eventually, you know. And where do we get one of the, in my opinion, one of the great catchphrases? Hello, ladies. Where, where where does that come from? So that's another that's one that was just part of the very first vignette. Okay. You know, when I stepped out of that shower, I went hell. Or no, it was the one when I was laying in the bed. Okay. The very very first vignette when I was laying in the bed when it said Val Venus is coming, and I went hello, ladies, <laughs> to the camera. It was the introduction. It's the best. And it's, it's the introduction of the vignette. Why shouldn't it be the introduduction of my ring appearance? Right. Do you know what I mean? And it yeah. was something that no one else has done. It's simple. It's hello. Here's, here's a ridiculous question though. So I always thought about this. There's a there's an HBO um, comedy series that came out. It was about out for two years called Hello Ladies. And I always wondered if you ever trademarked that saying and you got residuals from them using that. No, I never did. Uh -huh. Personally, <laughs> that's the first thing I used to think oh. all the time. He's he's yeah. making money right yeah, now because that's his. Yeah, Hello yeah, yeah. No, and, you know. So being oh, yeah. an anarchist, I'm against trademarks and copyrights. Okay, okay, okay. So. You know, right. hey, if anybody wants to go out there and use the Val Venus character, go ahead. It's the biggest form of flattery. You'll never be the original. You'll never right. be the guy. So, even close. You know, hey, go out there and make your money, do your thing. You know what I mean? But you'll never be the original. You know what I mean? And so, to me, trademarks, patents, I mean, whatever it is. I'm not going to patent anything. I'm not going to trademark anything. I, I'm a freedom guy. You know Eric, I mean? you'd be trademarking the hell out of that. <laughs> oh, you know he oh, be all over that shit. Through and through. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, ladies. No, his catchphrase would be, Hello, protectors in government. Give no. <laughs> my trademark so nobody can use my... It's no BSS or no BS with the SS. <laughs> no <BSS. laughs> you know he would trade. Well, you know because business and success end in ESS. <laughs> well, I'll give you guys a prime example, just real quick. So 
when I wanted to start my Captain Cannabis show, right? I started it. I saw someone else was using Captain Cannabis spelled with C's. Yeah. I wasn't going to spell it that way anyway. I was going to spell it with K's just because nice. it's different. Just to do it. Yeah, yeah just to do it. Yeah. And this guy has a comic book that's Captain Cannabis, whatever. Yeah, good for him. Okay. So I started the Captain Cannabis show. Now, after a few episodes, I was like, Captain, the Captain Cannabis show is too long. And while well, it's mostly about cannabis, it's also about politics and cannabis as well. And I was already thinking about shortening it and maybe getting rid of the cannabis and just doing the Captain show. That way I'm not limited to just cannabis. Right. But right before I was about to shorten it anyway, I get a cease and desist order from oh, a lawyer. Now you've done it. Now you've made it. From a, a guy that has the comic book and a radio show called Captain Cannabis right. down in Florida. It's just a small little thing. Right. It's not like he's got a huge following. Right. And spelled with C's. Completely different thing, right? But he sends me the cease and desist order. So I'm looking at it and I'm going... His email is Freedom Radio something, right? Freedom. So I go and look it up, and he's got a podcast. It's all about freedom and radio, right? And but he's trying to stop. He has a freedom. trademark on yeah. Captain Cannabis. Mm-hmm. I'm going. So this guy is advocating freedom and yeah. liberty, <laughs> and he's using government to protect wow. his fucking Harry hypocrite. Harry hypocrite in the uh, Harry uh, hypocrite. Yeah, I was yeah, like, whatever. Much. I'm short of yeah. the fucking name anyway. Yeah. There you away, go. You know? Up yours. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, of course, that as you get this gimmick, did you have any idea just how much Vince would push the envelope with this gimmick? Because, for example, two of the more memorable vignettes I remember with the great Val Venus, Kyantai chopping off PP, <laughs> and of course, the first one that really, like, look, Jenna Jameson popping out of the bushes. Correct. Yeah. What are we talking here? You have arrived, man. So oh, it's yeah. basically like, wow. Did well, you know that Vince was going to push the envelope this hard? I knew he was going to push the envelope because it was kind of his baby at the time, right? Vince mm-hmm. Russo and him, I guess. And that's also what I wanted to ask you. What is your opinion on the impact that Vince Russo had in this business? Vince Be- Russo is a fantastic creative guy. He's, okay. he's absolutely amazing. Do you think he's underrated stories. or overrated? He is so it's such a, a hot spot of criticism and controversy over the years. I have a lot of respect for him. I, I think he's done some great things in this business. Do you feel like he gets enough credit or too much credit, especially during that time period, because he was almost as red hot as the wrestlers themselves when he left to go to WCW. Think about it. This is a writer that yeah. was making huge internet you know, noise. So, so I think Vince Russo, and I have a lot of respect for Vince Russo. Okay. I loved his creativity, and he was he's, got, he's amazing. When it comes to creative, uh, the, the creative aspect of professional wrestling, um, I will say this. However, uh, I think the team of Vince McMahon and Vince Russo is a perfect team because Vince mm-hmm. Russo will push the envelope in the most creative ways you can imagine, and then you have the businessman Vince McMahon who will be his governor, and he'll have the chains on him. And as far as Vince Russo wants to push the envelope with great ideas. McMahon will pull that chain back and says, we can do that, but we're going to do it right back here. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And so there was a great balance between pushing the, the envelope. Two, the two philosophies. Absolutely. Right. The, the business side of it and the creative side of it meshed together perfectly, and you had an excellent character in the name, fair, Val Venus. Fair to say you Ego know? ultimately killed this wonderful team. Of I think what happened with Vince Russo is we all have egos, especially mm, sure. in this business. We all got sure. egos. You know? I, I'm not going to say, oh, I don't have an ego. I have <laughs> a fucking <laughs> ego, let me tell you. <laughs> Hello, ladies? Right. I think everybody should have egos. I like people with egos. <laughs> sure. That's confidence. You're yeah. running home here, that's for sure. Absolutely. We barely got through the door. Yeah, Go and on. You know, some people demonize people with egos. Right. I find comfort right. in people with egos because I can see they're confident in themselves. You know what I mean? There you go. And that's just a reality that nobody right. can deny. It's a fact. People with egos generally have a lot of confidence and that's not a bad thing that's a good thing right people with over-the-top egos can be a little problematic but that's a different story so (laughs) Vince Russo has an ego just like we all do and I think when he went to WCW Eric Bischoff is a businessman but he wasn't the businessman to control the creative aspect of Vince Russo Mm -hmm. and Vince Russo instead of being creative for behind the scenes and be creative for other people where he's focusing on creating different storylines, which, let's face it, when Vince Russo is in WWE, every every match had a story. Every match, from opening card to the end card. Mm-hmm. When he went to WCW, he didn't have those governing chains on him. His ego got the better of him, and he put himself in front of the camera. Right. And really, once you've put yourself in front of the camera, now your ego is driving the creativity aspect for your character now, all of a sudden, the importance of other characters, and it's just natural, the importance of other wrestlers creating storylines for them 
becomes less important. So how do you feel you that know? Vince was able to, because Vince himself put himself in the ring during the Attitude Era. Yes. How was he able to pull it all off while the company continued to grow, not take a hit? He's taking bumps in the ring as well as running it. How did he do that? I think he did it in a way where he knew what his goals were through the day. And if he felt he could fit in creativity for the show with him being in it, he would fit that in as long as it didn't interfere with it with what he was doing so in an entire show. He never made himself the priority of the show. He just would intertwine it if he thought it fit. Correct. Correct. That, that's my feeling. I don't know for sure. You'd have to ask him personally. Sure, sure. But that's kind of the inkling I got. You know right. what I mean? He's running a business. Right. He wants to make sure everything else is taken care of. Uh, you know, maybe this will, the fans will like this and I can inject myself well, here. It that's seems to me you got a big-time respect for events. I do. Well, look what the guy's done. You can't deny sure. what he's done. He, he took a company that was a fairly big Northeast company and turned it into a global Juggling. phenomenon. Right. Anybody that does, as, as much as the left in this country wants to demonize business people, mm-hmm. to me, that's remarkable. It is. You know, it's remark. It's it hard is. work. It's it's it's, it's tenacity. Well, we, we, well, we have this con- we have this conversation between ourselves a lot. Vince is a, a leader. Yep. Absolutely. Where Eric was, and again, I'm sure he's a businessman, but he was also more of a friend of the friend of the troops. Where Vince was right. the leader of the troops. You feel that way. Yes. So, yeah. I I'm going to hit you. That's a great analogy. I never yep. thought about. it. Like I'm going to hit yep. you with this subject. Then we have had a, some older wrestlers in. And some of the beef is they're not taken care of, right? They've made Vince all this money, and once they've been put out the pasture, they've been put out the pasture. What's your viewpoint on that? So as an anarchist, when you sign that contract with Vince, you got to remember you're acting as a businessman, and he is a businessman. When you sign that contract, you're trading your work, labor, skill, and talent for whatever you've agreed upon in that contract. If you don't agree upon it, negotiate. If you want Vince to pay for your health care, negotiate that in your contract. And if it's not doable, you can negotiate a way where he can maybe give you more money to pay for health care. You negotiate something that's agreeable to you. Now, once you've agreed upon that, and now you're performing your duties, performing every night, that's what you've agreed to do. He's performing his duties. He's agreed to pay you this amount of money. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're both satisfying both ends of the contract. Yeah. For the contract to finish... And now you're done. And to come back and say, now I'm done. I, I don't have any money to retire. Whose fault is that? Whose fucking fault is that? Is that Vince's fault? That's not Vince's fault. You know what I mean? I'm loving you right now, man. We're, we're, we're on that trade. We're on that trade. For a long time. Right. I mean, you, know, you had those years. You had your opportunity to make a con- I mean, Vince wants somebody to perform. He needs people to perform. You know, and he has to pay good talent, whatever it is they feel they want, need, and desire in order to satisfy their life. And that includes getting extra money for that they can store away in retirement. Right. Put that in your contract. Negotiate right. it. Right. Do you know what I mean? And these right. guys that just say, oh, look, I'm getting this big money contract. I can afford health insurance. I can afford a new car. I can afford a house. Right. They go out and they blow all their yeah, money. Don't live so large. Now their contract's done. <laughs> and they're like, oh, Vince isn't taking care of me. And I, draw, I, I put my blood, sweat, and tears in that ring. Well, you put your blood, sweat, and tears in that ring because that's it. what you agreed to do. Right. Vince performed what he agreed to do, and that was to give you that money. Right. The fuck are you doing coming back saying he's the devil now? <laughs> He fulfilled his obligations to you according to what you agreed to in the contract. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I, I totally. I, he, listen, absolutely. I'm, I totally believe. Right? You, you listen. Absolutely. Best part about living in this country: you don't like it, quit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Very simple. I'm you have that right. Know. Right. Yeah. You could now. If you want to come and you want to talk to me, keyboard. Now, if you want to come and you want to talk to me about, okay, Vince is paying you this much, you agreed to it, and you're performing this much, you agreed to it, but now government's coming in and taking 30%, we can talk about that. Sure. Because that's just theft and extortion. Let's see, that's something important to talk about. Mm -hmm. But to sit there and demonize somebody that's already fulfilled their obligations to you based on the contract that you agreed to, that's wrong on so many different levels, you know? And I know a lot of people on the left are going to disagree with me. But let's face it, Vince is not a welfare agency. He's a business. And you're a free person that's in a free climate, freely negotiating a contract with him. Live up to your obligations and leave it at that. That's, right. You know what I mean? That's Fair business. Enough. You know what I mean? This Fair whole enough. thing that and as far as somebody the left owes goes, other people something. Is the guy to the left agrees. So, so <laughs> I, want, I want to get into the important part of CBD oil and all that. So oh, yeah. real quick question for you. Um, anabolic steroids and illegal drugs in wrestling. Uh, 
I'll ask you straight, don't have to answer. Uh, did you dabble in anabolic steroids? Yeah, I did. I and absolutely if, did. If, yeah. you, if you did, um, my next question on that is why it seems the wrestlers that we do meet seem to take uh, homage in the fact that they did illegal drugs, but they don't want to admit that they we, did steroids. We, we, what, we why is that a, such a big a deal? A badge of honor. I partied, but if you bring up steroids, they'll like, like, me yeah. was the other guy. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's indoctrination. I think it's, it's the way people have been taught, you know, to believe. They've been manipulated by media, by government-run schools. Um, steroids aren't a good thing. Let's face it, they're, they're not a good thing. But there's a lot of things that are out there that aren't good. You know, I never used a lot of steroids. The last time I used testosterone was back in 2001. Okay. And for me, so maybe I'm not the best person to ask about steroids because I would only do eight-week cycles maybe twice a year. So I never did a whole lot. You know, there are guys that would stay on all year long. And for me, I liked, I mean, I got great benefits from taking 200 milligrams of testosterone every 10 days for eight weeks straight. I got fantastic benefits. Now, when people come up to me and they say, what about the side effects? I got to tell you, at that small dosage, I didn't see anything. I got no side effects from it. I enjoyed taking testosterone. And when as it got close to eight weeks... I was kind of bummed that I had to come off of it. And it wasn't that I had to come off of it. It was that I was sticking to my goals. Right, right. You know? Right. And so I didn't I didn't lose too much weight when I would come off of it because I wasn't on it that long and I didn't take a whole lot. So even when I did lose a few pounds here and there, I was still happy with the gains I kept. Sure. So I never had negative side effects from steroids. So I might be a bad person. Like I get, you know, if I get a teacher to say, hey, can you go out there and talk about, you know, the negativity of steroids? And I'm like, I'm not the best person to go out there and do that, bro, because... I got good results from it, mm, right. healthy results from it. I got stronger, I got faster, I got better, you know, and I still, even when I came off them after eight weeks, I was still stronger than I was before I started. Now, if you want to find out what real negative side effects are, you got to ask the guys that took a lot of it. Right. There are negative side effects once you start overdoing it, you know, acne, sleep problems, uh, tendon tears are a big thing, you know, I never had a tendon tear on me. So... You know, for me, you say steroids, I say lunch. <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Now, yeah. do I want to do steroids? Now, I haven't done them since 2001. It was the last time I took them. Quite frankly, right now, no, I'm trying to get down to 210 so I can run a marathon. Mm. But after I've done that one marathon, I might do another eight-week cycle to get myself back up to 250, 260. Yeah. And I'll, I'll fucking make no apologies about it. You know right. what I mean? Fuck that. I'll, I'm just, I'll do it. And right. I don't care if it's illegal or not. But um, if I'm the... If, you ask me about, are steroids bad? I can't say that, man. I always had good results from the small amount that I took. You know what I mean? And so, again, it's just it's personal responsibility. And but, but why, why, why do other wrestlers feel like they don't want to admit? They want to just feel like they're out there. It's like, oh, this guy's totally natural. Why do you think there is a paranoia? You know, yeah, you know, what, yeah, what is the paranoia? I think it's just indoctrination. Okay. I think people are conditioned to believe that. Right. You know what I mean? Fair. Yeah. I mean, so you're, you're, for, you're forgiven sure. for shooting heroin. You're forgiven for it's snorting weird. cocaine. But yes. God damn it, if you take a steroid, man, yeah. you are. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm an anarchist, so I think all drugs should be legal. Let's face it. By default, they are all legal right now because you can get anything you want. Give me an hour. I can go out and find it. <laughs> sure. So no matter, even with He's the war right. on drugs, you can find anything you want. Right. And so I think all drugs should be legal. I don't think government should be telling free people what they can and cannot put in their bodies. However, let's face it. Heroin has killed so oh, many of my friends. Man. Opiates. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I say oh, heroin, yeah. I'm also including pharmaceutical yeah, opiates no, in that. No um, it's killed so many of my friends. It's not a good thing to go and inject heroin right. and snort coke. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the only thing that goes in this Ferrari is cannabis. Not even yeah. alcohol goes in this uh, Ferrari. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right. But that's a personal choice for me. Right. I want to live my life healthy. Whereas if people want to perform in professional bodybuilding, we know the professional bodybuilding is loaded up with steroids. Sure. I will absolutely support a free man's uh, desire, a dream to become a professional bodybuilder. Dude, just, you know, here's my recommendation. Go and learn everything you can about all the different steroids, you know, right. and before you go. Know what you're doing to last week, Lanny Poffo, right. Lanny Poffo last week said he wanted to be a big star and he knew he had to take steroids to do it. And, you, you know, you can't hold someone back from, you know, from doing what they think they need to do to be successful, right? Yeah, you know, and I'd have to respectfully. I'd like to disagree with Lenny Poffel on that. I don't okay. think you need to do steroids to do to, mm -hmm. to get where you want to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you got people like um, uh, Ray Mysterio, for example. 
how did he get to be there, you know, without being a huge guy? Um, CM Punk has never done anything. Mm-hmm. How did he get to be there? You know, see, so you can get there. How about I Kevin think Owens? Kevin Owens. And then you got professional. Kevin Owens isn't doing Ke- any of that. Absolutely. But and then you, you got professional know. bodybuilders that have right. tried pro wrestling and couldn't make it yet. Right. They sure. were geek to the, to sure. the gills. Sure. So... The game, think, the, game, the game has changed. Back then, it was a really a big man's game. Now, it's more it of an athletic game. Absolutely. But even back then, while the big bodies were, were money draws, the real money draws were still the people that had the charisma. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and so, it's one of those things where if you got the charisma, that cannot be denied. Let's face it. No one is going to deny Rock's charisma. You can't deny that. He could be 110 pounds. If he's walking around doing the exact same thing he's doing now or or back when he was wrestling talking the way he was talking, he'd still be a huge star. Do you know what I mean? So let me ask you this. Mike versus Matt Skills. Mike Skills, Matt Skills, which is more important to be a professional wrestler? I think Matt Skills you got to be able to at least at least put on a decent match. It doesn't got to be phenomenal but you got to have the basics. you got to be serviceable. Absolutely. Right. But somebody that has, like, let's face it, Rock, definitely not the best wrestler on the card. Mm-hmm. But far from it. If you look at his matches, the moves that he does, I mean, let's, there's nothing yeah. spectacular in there. Probably probably the worst move in wrestling, right? The people's elbow. The people's the elbow. The most ridiculous move in the history of the wrestling. shittiest elbow in the face it's, of God's right. green earth. Yep. But it's the most over move oh on the God, planet it was unbelievable. because of the charisma that he it's packs into just I mean, running the ropes twice, you know, picking up the elbow, boom, doing it. To tell thing. you the truth, he was he was so captivating that before he went into the whole spiel, when he had the guy down, he would just stop and, and stare at that's the crowd. It. And the Bing. crowd would be like, here it comes! And he'd be like, wait but for it. He would feed into it. you got to you got to give credit to yourself. You had the it factor. Yep, absolutely. You had a big did. time it factor yes, he did. for a long yeah. time. Yep. You know, for, for me, professional yes, wrestling was something I I always loved. I always loved wrestling. So the technical aspect of it was always something that was interesting. and But the charisma side of it was also something I knew I had to acquire as well. Rock, I think in his mind, he was a little bit different. He liked wrestling, but as far as the stuff like Japanese wrestling or stuff like... Uh, right. Give me an example. Chris Benoit and Two Cold Smoke. Right. Very, very technical wrestling. Right. That type, that's not his that was thing. Not sure. his thing. He's right. more of the entertaining guy. Sure. And that's what he put all... You know, clearly, that's what he put all of his sure. focus into. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. And so, yeah, with the people's elbow, shittiest move in the world, he knew it. Right. He's not a dumb guy. He knows it's the right. shittiest move in the world. Right. But like you were saying, the, everything he did leading oh. up to it, oh my God. to the whole crossing the arms, running the ropes, the way he would look into the camera before he run, he made that move wanted by the fans. He had such command with the crowd. I remember there was a particular vignette where The Rock was backstage. He's not even in front of the people. And he was saying something and the crowd responded and he repeated it to make them respond the same way again and they did. He's not even out there. He's in the back. And they're responding to him as if he's standing right in front of them. Yeah, Rock is one of those guys with the it factor. Charisma personified. I think a lot of that, uh, obviously a lot of that skill, he, he Obviously, spent a lot, a lot of hours in the hotel room right. practicing his stick. That was clear. Right. But I think he's got a little bit of a natural talent, a natural seed oh, that's yeah. there that he's just nurtured. He's yeah. just taken that natural talent and just nurtured it, and you know he performed at the highest levels um, in terms of entertainment that's possible in the entertainment world. I mean, let's face it; he's, right. the, he's the highest paid actor in. in sure. Right. Hollywood right now right. for a reason, you right. know, and it's the charisma that he possesses. I, I want to get into the melting point. Oh, sure. Okay. okay. Um, you, you retire from wrestling. Uh, you're retired, semi-retired? Semi-retired. I still do a few shots here and there once in a while. Yeah, yeah. But now your main business is uh, melting point extracts? Melting point extracts. So, so this is a little bit of a, a little bit of a trip here. So okay. When we legalized medical marijuana in 2010 in, in Arizona, I was already looking to get into the dispensaries in California. And so, but when we legalized it, legalized it in 2010, Arizona, I was like, yes, I got to get into the dispensaries here. And it was very, very difficult to get a license. And um, the dispensaries that did pop up at the time, that did win the so-called lottery, right. pretty sure you need to know somebody in the state to <laughs> win that supposed win lottery. lottery. Right. Um, when the dispensaries first opened up, the dispensaries, because there was still a little bit of nervousness there, the owners were only hiring family members and tight-knit friends and it was very 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 difficult to crack that nut and i'm you know going up giving them my resumes you know letting them know hey this this is my passion i want to get into this i want to learn the industry 
and at the time it was just closed they, they weren't hiring anybody but their families and, and friends and so I opened up a, a patient lounge for, for cannabis patients it was a private uh, lounge and we had comedy nights there we had band nights there we rented dab rigs rented bongs sold papers and whatnot but we didn't sell cannabis they had the patients had to get their their cannabis from the dispensaries then they bring it to our lounge you know and so we kept that open for a year and I started to you know get to know the people that were working the dispensaries the dispensary owners were coming in and so I met an extraction artist that worked at one of the biggest dispensaries in Arizona that had just opened up at the time and it was wasn't long after that that I finally got an interview there and finally got hired on there and from there I just took off and then we got stocks in the company and then the company eventually merged with a big investment company in Canada. And now we're exploding all across the United States and in Canada as well. In fact, today is the grand opening of our very first Health for Life dispensary in Bethesda, Maryland. Wow. So, yeah. So, we got. I think it's three that we're going to open up this year. Uh, Health for Life's is what we're opening up. That's our name of our dispensary. Uh, I think there's three more opening up in Bethesda next year. we got Pennsylvania coming online. New Jersey's going to come online. And so Health for Life dispensaries, man, we're opening them up everywhere, and it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. So my whole life I've always been anti-drug, anti-marijuana. Sell me on this. Sell me on why I should be using CBD oil. Uh, CBD oil to me, it's it's safe, it's natural, it's non-toxic, it's a powerful anti-inflammatory. CBD, for me, is a fantastic replacement for things like ibuprofen, Vioxx, Bextra, Celebrex, any of those synthetic toxic pharmaceuticals that the doctors are just going to feed to you like candy. You know what I mean? You can ignore all those. And CBD taken every single day religiously is just as anti-inflammatory as any of those synthetic toxic pharmaceuticals. If you're taking ibuprofen every day, you're going to come to a point where your liver enzyme levels are going to go through the roof. Your kidneys are going to be screaming at you to stop. That doesn't happen with CBD. CBD is natural. It comes out of a plant. It's non-toxic, and it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory. And you can take it for the rest of your life and not have to worry about your liver and kidneys going... Hey, what the fuck are you doing to me? You know right. what I mean? So sure. CBD is a it's a fantastic, not just a a health tonic substance. It's also a medical substance in terms of it, in terms of its anti-inflammatory activity as well. So here's a concern of mine. I've been thinking about taking CBD oil, right? Because we actually have a sponsor on the station. Uh, the issue is, how do you know you're getting the right stuff? A lot of stuff's coming from China. You know, How do you know you're getting safe stuff and legitimate stuff? Yeah, you definitely want to get it from a reputable vendor. And we can talk about an anarchist society again. An anarchist society compels people to become smart consumers. Mm-hmm. So instead of government slapping their seal of approval on it, and we all know how that goes, otherwise there wouldn't be recalls, so much, slips, or so much shit slips by those government fucking you know, inspections and all that. And uh, so that doesn't do a whole lot of good. But when consumers uh, are relying on the free market, they have to do their own research into companies that they're dealing with. So you definitely want to research the company that you're buying your CBD from. You want to make sure that, uh, and it's not just a quick search. You know, you're buying their product, you're putting their product in your body. You want to make sure that where they're sourcing their CBD from is going to be legitimate. And that's a pretty easy process to do. Um, You know, obviously the first thing to do, hey, can you give me numbers for the uh, CBD manufacturing plant that you get your CBD from? Call them up. Hey, where do you source it from? Oh, we source our CBD from a farm in Germany. Can I have the number to that farm, please? You know, you dig down deep. Make sure it's coming from a good farm that's growing great hemp or whatever. You know, you just do your own research. And I would do that. I would do that even if the you know the pharmaceutical company is giving you an anti-inflammatory. You want to research that company, too, because... You can't guarantee that they're going to be on the up and up either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. So becoming a smart consumer and a, re- a consumer that researches the products that you're buying or the services that you're going to consume, um, that's really it's important to do in a free society. You've got to become a smart consumer and not rely on government agencies to tell you what is good and what's not. Because as we've all seen, recalls prove that they're just humans. They're doing the same research. I doubt they're doing the same research that you would do buying a product that's important to you. Right. Do you know what I mean? So sure. I think you can be your own inspection agency is basically what I'm saying. Do you think we'll live to see the double standard finally come to an end where marijuana is looked at, mm-hmm. at least on the same level as, as far as I'm concerned, total poison, otherwise known as alcohol? 
because we can all do that. We all have no problem with that. Let's go get a case. Let's go hit somebody. Let's get a DWI. Let's do this. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think we'll be able to see that in our lifetime? Because New York here has a program for, I have a license, and I find the New York's program to be very, very restraining. It is. And uh, it they're is. basically raping us financially through the doctors. By the time we actually get to the actual medicine ourselves, we're, we're broke. Oh, it's we terrible. can't even afford the medicine. So what's the point? Yeah. I mean, do you see this, hopefully, in our lifetime coming to an end where we can get it as easily as a six-pack? I know? do. I think it's going to be a fight because <sighs> you got to remember what nice. comes along with marijuana. They're, they're not in, The only people that are really interested in keeping marijuana illegal are law enforcement, the private prisons, because it's a huge boon uh, to the private prisons. Okay. So law enforcement, it keeps them busy. Uh, private prisons, it keeps them you know, at capacity. And the drug companies. Right. Uh, and so those are the three main industries that want to keep marijuana illegal. But what happens, the big, it's only a small slip. A lot of people look at marijuana industry and they're thinking recreational marijuana or recreational and medicinal is what they're looking at in terms of a cannabis industry. But when you look at an entire industry of cannabis, the recreational and the medicinal aspect of the cannabis industry is a very small sliver. Okay, mm. what they're really, really worried about: if you legalize marijuana, you have to legalize hemp. That would be stupid to say we're going to legalize marijuana, but we're going to keep hemp illegal. Right. Well, hemp is what they're really concerned about, and like I said, recreational and medicinal marijuana industries are very small sliver of the pie in the overall cannabis industry as a whole, because really with hemp you can fuel American cars so American farmers can grow American hemp to fuel American cars big oil doesn't want to see that it would literally put big oil out of business literally you know you have hemp that can be grown to I'm wearing cotton jeans right now I gotta replace these things every couple of months you wear hemp jeans they'll last you a lifetime and if you're a construction worker maybe you replace them every year instead of every you know couple of months so Textiles, clothing company, textile industries, um, food, hemp seeds, paper, paper is another one. Hemp paper is way better than trees. You're not cutting trees down. It lasts longer than than wood pulp uh, paper, way longer. Uh, You're not cutting trees down. Uh, One acre of hemp grows in four months and you can harvest it. It takes 20 years to grow a freaking tree. You know what I mean? So the paper industry, the lumber industry, uh, hemp, I don't know if you guys ever heard of hempcrete. It's the cellulose, which is the, the material that's in the stalk of the, of the hemp plant. Okay. Once they take the fibers off the stalk, they use that for textiles, clothing, and whatnot. But the cellulose, which is the center of the hemp, can be ground up into a powder, mixed 50-50 with limestone and water. That's it. Wow. It's 10 times lighter than concrete, 10 times stronger than concrete, wow. and it breathes. So the humidity inside your home will stay the same no matter how humid or how dry it is outside. So if it's real humid, that hempcrete absorbs the humidity, and because it's antimicrobial or, or uh, viral, it's antibacterial, the hemp is just naturally, it, doesn't, it won't mold up on you. So it absorbs that humidity when it's real humid, and then when it's really dry, as you're getting close to December and January, uh, those months become really dry, it'll slowly release that moisture back into the air of your home. Mm. So it's one of the best home building materials in the world. Right. And it's fireproof. It's termite proof. Wow. It's such an incredible substance. So it would change. Obviously, the unions of construction companies don't want that because they want to lay fiberglass in your walls. They want to put uh, framing uh, of two by fours uh, in your walls, all which can catch fire and burn your house down. But it keeps construction unions in business. So they're also another huge conglomerate that wants to keep hemp illegal. Right. So I'm I'm just touching the service. I could go right. on here for ten years right. telling you guys about. Well, I was just thinking about like if they did go with hemp, a lot of people would be out of jobs. Oh yeah, which well, would open up a whole nother problem, right? Yeah. Well, it, the problem would be taken Wait, care of, and they'd all be high and out of a job. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That's what we So you would you, you'd see you'd see big oil collapse. You'd see plastic manufacturing companies, you know, right. disband. Right. But. Who would take up all that extra employees? Yeah, you gotta hire them. They gotta you, hire you, got, you gotta process hemp into paper. Yep. You gotta make hemp plastic, which, by the way, is biodegradable. The, the and you're talking about protecting the earth, which is a big deal, right? The plastic jobs. water bottles are jobs. a big problem right now in landfill sites and in the ocean. And those plastic bottles, you know where they're made from? The oil drilled out of the ground. If you can make that with hemp oil, it's biodegradable. 
throw them in the ocean. The fish will love it. Wow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And wow. so in the You're landfill right. sites, it'll biodegrade quickly and just return back to the soil. And look what the pollution is doing to the shores of Florida. I Absolutely. Mean, if you're aware of that. This is crazy what's going it's on crazy. in Florida. And we can make plastic bottles out of hemp plastic. You thinking about no. running for office anytime soon? Um, I don't think I would. Uh, so you have never friends seen who think like you who may be running for office anytime Yes, Adam okay. Kokesh. Okay. Adam Kokesh. Okay. He's, he's a libertarian anarchist. Jimbo type, write that down. Uh, <laughs> okay. He, he's a very good interview. You guys ever want him on here? Uh, Adam Kokesh, he's been in and out of jail. He's a hardcore libertarian activist. Okay. And he's, he's he wrote the book Freedom, which I actually have in, in my bag, in, it's okay. in, in the car. Okay. Uh, it's, and it's downloadable. You can download it for free. Adam Kokesh, 2020, he's already, he's already got his bus. It's already, uh, what do you call it, vinyl wrap with Kokesh 2020. And he's running <laughs> not for president, but for un-president. Oh, my God. So Adam Kokesh's platform is he wants, and he's running under third party under the libertarian ticket. Okay. So it's already an uphill battle for him. But right. the big thing is, is getting the message out there, and that's really why he's running. But let's just say, in the slim chance he, he does win and become president, his goal is is to dismantle every federal program and return all the powers back to the governments that run the states. So returning, getting rid of all the power, relinquishing all the powers of the federal government and returning them back to the, the state. state. And that is why he's running for un-president. So if, you ever, if, you're living, if, if you're living here in New York and you have an issue, and for some weird reason, that issue, whatever, I don't know, it could be anything out in the street, that issue is somehow magically a federal issue now. Well, now you've got to get your ass up from where you work every day, leave your family and take time off your job, fly all the way out to Washington, D.C., hopefully get to see some, uh, some politicians, and then address your issue. If there was no more federal government and all the issues could be taken care of locally, you could just literally not take any time off work. Just walk over to your that local politician. Andrew Cuomo would be like our president. Yeah, that'd be pretty rough. That'd well, yeah, and but that that here's the thing: now Andrew Cuomo can't pass the buck to the feds. Oh. He's got to get. That's you, true. He's got to deal with you directly. Right. He's got to answer you your questions. Can't start the issues anymore like they do with the game. Right. right. The buck stops at him, yeah. and you're, he's just a quick hop skipping away away. Right. Right. So We're trying to eliminate the game hopping. You know? Oh no, you don't come back here. Exactly. It makes it a lot more tough. For, for criminals in government right, to just right. push laws through without having the citizens confront them and say, what the fuck are you doing? Right. right. Do you know what I mean? Simplify so, the complexity just, of the bullshit. Just about, exactly. I bingo. Gotcha. Just yeah. So Adam Kokesh, 2020. I, I gotcha. Just to bounce back, we were talking about animals before we went on air. Hmm. Um, the CBD oil is also good for the animals also, oh, right? absolutely. So we're speaking about my sick dog, and you, you had given me some recommendations. Could you share that? Or? Absolutely. You know, in our dispensary, we have several different brands of dog treats that have uh, 2.5 milligrams of CBD. There's another one that's 5 milligrams of CBD, and these things fly off our shelves. I mean, fly. And uh, we hear the reports over every day. We hear the reports. Oh, I've been giving that stuff to my dog. He's 14 years old. He hasn't been walking very well for the last two years. And now he's like a puppy, mm. you know, running around. He's a lot more energetic. It's because the arthritis in their joints get hit with that CBD, which reduces the inflammation, right. reduces their pain. Yeah. And your dog becomes a lot more spunky and happy and, and ready to run around and play again, you know. So for older dogs, it's it's indispensable it's it's incredible it's really incredible to see the benefits of the compounds that we can extract from this plant we all love and call marijuana you know it's just it's it's remarkable how we grew up being told that this is an evil plant it just boggles my mind and and, and it goes back yeah. to government-run education and government in general yeah you know, just brainwashing yep. us into believing that this is evil. And there's nothing. Yep. I'll tell you what's I evil. I thought it was shit when I was a teenager. I said, screw your room. Is yeah, there, see, I, I, I bought into it. I, 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 thought, I thought it was I bad. Did. This has know? been a 33-year go-after-yourself, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it, 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 that's tough to find someone that's been drinking for 33 right. years nonstop to be as healthy as you are. Right. You know what I mean? I'm hanging right? in there. Yeah, there, hanging there you go, there. my and friend. And I avoid alcohol, by the way. I'm yeah. not a drinker. I'm just a smoker, pretty much. Yeah, me too. That's all I do. That's it. Just, just cannabis, man. Yeah, that, that alcohol is another. It's, I mean, obviously, let's face it, most, most adults drink responsibly. Right. But those people that, you know, get a little bit of alcohol in them and they can't oh, stop, yeah. 
It's yeah, it's an asshole. Yeah, alcohol's a no bad, thanks. bad drug, man. I agree. Bad drug for sure. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah. So where can we go to to buy the product? Or? So you know, you can buy those CBD dog treats online. Um, now, here's something for you. My daughter right now, she's 12 years old. She's already experimenting with making dog treats. She wants to make them, you know, so that they taste really good. Right. And she's already come up and asked me and said, Dad, can you get me some CBD to infuse into these? And I want to sell CBD dog treats. So that's something I'm definitely going to work on her with. Wow. And uh, in the next month or two. Yeah. But uh, you can get them online, man. Just type in CBD dog treats and there's all kinds of stores selling them online. Terrific. So, yeah. My 12 right, year old so daughter wants to create a CBD dog treat. I really appreciate you coming and this is great. Um, well, thank you. We're we're, uh, we're almost out of time. I just want to ask you on a wrestling end, how do you feel about today's product and how do you feel about the uh, growth of the women's division and what's your thought process as being a male in the you industry? Still watch wrestling. That so that's a question I can't even answer because I don't even watch the product anymore. Okay, and it's not because I don't want to. I mean, I'm a wrestling fan at heart. I've been a wrestling fan all my life. Mm-hmm. It's just that I've developed another passion. I still have a passion for wrestling. But it's one of those things, you know, I did it for 24 years full time. Mm-hmm. I've got another passion now, and that's also in cannabis. It's not that I don't want to watch Raw. It's not that I don't want to watch SmackDown. But in the cannabis industry, it's so demanding. It's, and I just don't have time to do it. So I can't really comment on what the, on what the show's like or anything like that. I do know uh, Bobby Roode's there. Right. And Bobby Roo was the guy that uh, I initially broke into the business when really? I took a little break from Puerto Rico. Nice. And I tra- I helped train him. Get very nice. first time he's ever been in the ring mm-hmm. was in the back of my father's house up in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, went up there for the summer, set up the ring, got him in the ring, and he picked it up quick. And then when I went back down to Puerto Rico, he went down to Scott DeMore's school, continued his training there. Finally, he went down to Puerto Rico, and he took off from there. And now he's in, you know, he went did a great career in, in TNA. Yes. Now he's in, in WWE and I haven't even seen him perform. Today. Vince is not doing yeah. right by Bobby. but that's He's not. I, not I didn't, is he, he's not being used at all right now? He's been used. He's held the U.S. title, but it was one of those very quick, ineffective pushes. He keeps flipping him between good guy and bad guy and Bobby is a heel. Bobby's a great Bobby's heel. heel. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he's been sure. using him as a faceless good guy and we both know that that doesn't really usually translate yeah, no matter yeah. how good Bobby is, it's just yeah, he's good, man. He's great. We he's love him. Fantastic, we love him, but he's just yeah. not being used right right now. But I yeah. think it's because Vince has eight pounds of shit in a two pound bag with yeah. the roster. Absolutely, so yeah, that yeah, might have could, something to do with it. You, you know? could very well hit the nail on the head on that one. That's yeah. for sure. And it's one thing I, I definitely I got to get on YouTube and pull up Bobby's uh, WWE matches because I haven't even right. seen one of them yet. I just buy the network nine ninety nine. You'd be good to go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just don't have time to watch it. It's, right. That's the thing, you know. So we're we're out of time. Eric, you got anything you want to promote? www.essspromotions.com. That's my website, and you can see all the latest happenings of ESS on there. Where I'm going to be with all the different talent that I have coming up in town. I won't uh, divulge here, but go on it. www.essspromotions.com. Terrific. Where the avalanche of legends just never stops falling. Actually, actually, they're falling. That's the problem. <laughs> they're falling. God, I now need to move. That? You know, I'm getting done with the '80s guys because they're dying off, and now I got to move to some of the '90s guys, the ones that have not already died off. Because the two thousand and I'm into well, the two thousand guys. Cannabis has got the healthy yeah. outlook. He'll be around a long uh, he's time. He's alive. I hope I am. But you know one thing that does concern me is in my family there's heart disease. You know, my mom oh. died early and all that. Oh. My grandfather died early. Okay. My dad had a heart attack when he was young, but he's okay. still alive. You know, he's still doing healthy. I'm adopted. I just run around the room blindfolded. He's very <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. So just give me whatever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, at 48 years old, it concerns me. You know, it's, sure. it runs in my family. So sure. you start to think about sure. things like that a little more. You know what I mean? I hear you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. and the problem. Is today's today's generation when they come off TV and they want you know astronomical amounts of money, they're not worth their money. They're not the draws that they think they are. Right. People want Especially like, people love the, the nostalgia. Yeah. There's that ego word, word right? Absolutely. Uh, There's right. that ego he word. Took, he took the yeah. thoughts right out right. of my head. And, and you know, people love the nostalgia. People love the '80s and '90s guys. The people by generation or that close to fifty that we right. grew up on those guys. Sure. Which you know, now I'm working with them, and like I want to see you know the guys, you know. We see them as they are now, but we want to see them as they were, which you can't because of evolution, right. you know, the time evolution. Right. But, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I was looking for the towel when he pulled up. I'm like, where's the towel? <laughs> yeah, it's in the <laughs> towel. In the warming rack. In the warming <laughs> rack, yeah. <laughs> Too funny. So, but. Uh, oh, hold on, i got to be Val Venus. 
So I'm standing on the corner looking for them. I'm like, where's Val Venus? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like standing here looking for Val Venus. I would reply to that if I was Val Venus. Like, I, you, know, so you know, the warming racks on, or the towels on the warming rack <laughs> in your wife's bedroom. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my <laughs> God. See, the, pro- the problem <laughs> is that today is uh, you know I look I look at aftermarket you know everybody's a star when, once they're in W when they're in WWE yeah, yeah I get the guys when they're not in WWE right so I'd say that's after me that's aftermarket right they're yep. in the market when they're in WWE gotcha. right. what is the value aftermarket right and these new guys are coming out because they're getting astronomical money up there, right. at least some of them. Right. And they, you know, and they want that coming off, and they'll get it the first six months because there's marks out there that'll pay that. Right. But then once once that dries up, then you got guys like me who can give you ten dates or multiple dates, and but I can't pay the mark money because it just I don't have it. But I have a fair market money that I can pay you if you uh, come off your high horses and work my program my way. Listen here, Enzo. It's a, it, it, <laughs> listen, it, it's, a, it's a tough game. I want to thank you both for joining us and taking the time out on our show. Thank you so much. It's our honor to have both of you on. Oh, it's thank my honor both. to be thank on this show. This is tremendous. I love it. Thank you so yeah, much, Thank guys. you so much. You want to send them out, Farrow? I just want to get one more hello, ladies, and I'll be happy. Hello, ladies. <laughs> the great Val Thank you very much. The thank great Val Thank you, thank you guys.